the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it is. And welcome back as we head into our second hour. We do so as we do every Monday with our good friend Brandon Weikert. He is the publisher of the Weikert Report, W-E-I-C-H-E-R-T. That's how Brandon spells his last name. He's a columnist for the Asia Times and author of Winning Space, How America Remains a Super power. Brandon, thanks for joining us. How are you, sir? I'm okay. How are you? I'm hanging in there. Thank you, brother. Thank you much. You're welcome. You wrote about uh, a little less than a week ago, you wrote about Iran's growing satellite threat. Looks like there might be a greater threat after the uh, declaration of the new presidency that we learned of over the weekend. I'm actually I'm working on an article for the Weikert Report that I'll have up probably in the next 45 minutes. I'm just tweaking it right Perfect. now. Perfect. Sound it out um, for us. Air but, it out for us. What'd you write? Yeah. So, well, well, basically, Ibrahim Rizi or Razi is um, a hardliner's hardliner. He is a close personal friend of the current Ayatollah Khamenei, and. Um, he is the signal to, from Iran to the Biden administration uh, that we're not afraid of you and we are coming for you unless you get out of our way. And even then, we might still come for you. And the Biden administration has dutifully, as our friend Stephen Bryan uh, at the Asia Times has reported, uh, the, uh, the, the Biden administration uh, announced that it will be pulling out our critical Patriot missile defense systems out of Saudi Arabia, Iraq, Kuwait, and Jordan. Uh, this is on top of uh, a move, a similar move they did back in March uh, or April. Uh, but um, they're they are now signaling to Iran that um, we know you have elected the most radical uh, president, even more radical than Ahmadinejad, uh, who was president in the first part of Obama's administration of Iran, that uh, uh, we have now elected in Iran a, a crazy guy who really wants to, to to push the envelope with aggression toward the United States, Israel, and the Sunni Arab states, and the, and the, the Biden administration has uh, just removed one of the last lines of defense that we have for protecting not only our allies in the region, but critical forward-operating bases in places like Iraq, in Kuwait, uh, and other friendly countries. Uh, you'll remember uh, after we assassinated uh, the Qasim Soleimani, the, uh, the Iranian Revolutionary Guards Corps, Quds commander, uh, at the, in the last uh, you know, 12 months of the Trump administration, uh, the Iranians fired a group of uh, missiles at our bases in Iraq. That's right. Special Forces Workhouse. That's right. Well, one of the systems that helped to ameliorate some of the damage was these these air defense batteries that now the Biden administration has removed. So as the Iranians are basically, you know, ramping up for conflict, um, the the Americans, as led by the current, you know, man in office, have decided to stand down. And this is this morning I saw Jake Sullivan, uh, the current national security advisor, 
who came out after the election results were announced in Iran. He came out and told the press uh, that we, we are keeping a very close eye. Uh, we need to keep, we need to make sure that Iran does not get nuclear weapons. And I was thinking, great, this is a good idea, yes. But of course, then he followed that on with his conclusion, which was that we, that's why we're going to move fully to restore the Obama-era joint uh, comprehensive plan of attack, which, of course, is going to be the thing that ensures Iran uh, gets anti-American hegemony in the Middle East at the precise moment that we actually need to be somewhat more clued into what's going on the ground, going on on the ground there. Uh, well, here's here's two headlines that make one's head want to explode from from today, uh, and and one of them is in the Washington Post. And the story is that the uh, president-elect Raisi simply said no when asked if he was willing to meet with President Biden and whether he was willing to negotiate on ballistic missiles and the support for proxy forces, which means terrorism. That's headline one. He spurns – Raisi spurns Biden. Headline number two from the AP Dateline Vienna, nuclear talks in final stages – do we not need to be pumping some brakes here, Brandon? Uh, not only that, you know, for a group of people in the Biden administration who claim to be so savvy in the media and in narrative shaping, they clearly have missed the picture here that whatever their intentions are and whatever they're willing to do behind the scenes to supposedly prevent Iran or our enemies from achieving their objectives, um, whether you're looking at Blinken's performance uh, with the Chinese uh, a few months ago, whether you're looking at Biden's shambolic shelling at the G7 or his disastrous meeting with Putin, or now these claims from a, what should be a two-bit third-rate uh, dictatorship in Iran, the, the narrative that's being shaped in the world press is that it's open season on America. Mm-hmm. And maybe, you know, maybe that's not true, and obviously our military is still strong enough right now where if they did push us around, we probably, especially with Iran, could retaliate significantly if given the order. But the fact is, we don't want it to get to that point where our enemies now think that they may have the ability to do what they want because we're too weak at the leadership level to prevent them from having their way. And so the narrative now is being shaped by the very forces, the authoritarians, for instance, that we do not want shaping the narrative, which are making America look like we are a bunch of pushovers in decline. We're reaffirming the Chinese narrative that we're an empire in decline going away soon. And uh, the Biden administration should be putting the brakes on any further negotiations. In fact, he should probably find another Iranian commander and kill him Hmm. uh, very publicly to send the message that we're not going to screw around here. But this administration... There are a bunch of mayor do wells. There are a bunch of uh, you know, uh, you know, high-minded leftists, and they're all academicians, and they don't understand the real world. They don't understand what they're dealing with. They're dealing with barbarians. These are people who are looking for weakness, and they will exploit it with any means they can. And they're exploiting it right now, and it, we're going to pay the price for it because I think, and this is the basis of my next book, as you know, I think that. Uh, the next world war is going to erupt in the Middle East very soon, and it's going to be started by Iran because Iran thinks it's stronger than it is. That's that mentality, Brandon, that I really want to kind of dig into with you for a second, if I can. We're speaking with Brandon yeah. Weikert. The Weikert Report is his publication. You can get it online. His book is um, uh, 
uh, how America uh, winning space, how America remains a superpower. And Brandon, so 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 Iran has a dramatically failing economy, correct? Yeah. Iran has a tremendous problem with uh, restless people in the uh, under the age of thirty, correct? Yes. Iran has some problems on the international stage with its reputation in certain regions. Yes. Yeah. At this moment, Iran had the opportunity to show some humility and attempt to uh, exercise the option of being brought back into the world of resp- the community of responsible nations. And 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 instead, it went with the hardest of hardliners available to it. Right. I think in the moment of that kind of a crisis, economic, uh, population, uh, geopolitical, for them to do that, I think that's a huge message. In fact, I don't think it's a huge yeah. message. I think it's sirens and lights on the top of the Empire State yeah. Building or on the top of yeah, whatever the equivalent is in, in Tehran. Yeah. yeah. I think it's probably the beginnings of a much longer move toward a much larger act of aggression against the United States and its allies. Um, I've spoken to you before, and this is a large chunk of my next book, uh, about how as the Biden administration is basically you know, retreating forthwith from the region and trying to hand it off inexplicably to the Iranians who are nuclear arming right now, um, the Israelis have now pushed Netanyahu out, and they've actually put a harder line. Yeah, I was just going to say, yeah, I, I know. And, <laughs> if you like, right. Yeah, I know. Yeah, so like, like the, 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 the current uh, Israeli regime is actually, or administration, is actually harder, you know, toward Iran than Netanyahu was. And so what's going to happen, I fear, is that as Biden is hitting the chicken switch on the, on the Iran situation, the Israelis are going to look around. They're seeing that the Saudis are starting to try to make deals with Iran. They're starting to inch away from their tacit support of the Abraham Accord, the Sunni Arab states. I think they're, uh, the Israelis are looking around going, well, we better use it or lose it. We better strike now before Iran has the capability to fully defend and then hope the Americans can come rushing in, force them to get, you know, to get involved in this conflict. And so I think actually we could be seeing Kind of like um, you know a Franz Ferdinand moment, if you will, or or uh, you know the bakings of another world war, where a smaller country is going to push uh, the larger country in because the larger country is either ambivalent or idiotic in its application of force and power in this highly uh, unstable region. Hold that thought right there. We'll be right back with more from Brandon Weicker. You have a question for him six zero two five zero eight zero nine six zero. There's there's a story behind us adding this song we'll circle back to later. Right now, let me uh, take us uh, back to our discussion with Brandon Weikert. He is the publisher of the Weikert Report, theweikertreport.com, and author of Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower, columnist at the Asian Times. And, Brandon, right before the break, we were talking about the uh, the, the Middle East and how you think – or you think it's plausible, if not likely, that – a world war will break out, and it will come more likely from the Middle East 
you say this. Um, yeah. You say this even given consternations we have with the superpowers of Russia and China. Yes. Yes. Well, I think that what's going to happen is Iran. So the the Saudis have rightly described a couple of years ago um, uh, as uh, Iran as a paper tiger with steel claws. Uh-huh. And um, so I think in that way, knowing how close and closer Russia and China have gotten with Iran over the last six, seven years, um, I think what you're going to see is Iran is going to overstep in the region. Israel is going to have to, you know, do something big that won't be big enough because they need American uh, support to really do the kind of mission they need to do to strike against Iran. Uh, and so ultimately, America is going to have to get drawn in. And at that point, the Russians and or Chinese will become involved. And uh, it's not necessarily true that they will come in on the side of the Americans. In fact, I doubt that they will. If anything, they'll try to complicate and stymie the ability of America's military to restore some semblance of, of balance or order in the region. Remember, Russia directly was you know, attempting to stunt and stymie America's intervention in Iraq, whether that was, you know, whether you agree with the war or not. The fact is, Russia led a troika on the diplomatic stage. It was them, France, and Germany in 03 that really did a lot of damage to the United States diplomatically. And I could foresee, at the very least, something along those lines, only this time with China being directly involved, which would be even harder for us to overcome. Something similar to that, at the very least, could happen. At worst, you'll have a world war break out because China and Russia at that point might directly intervene. Already, Russia has military assets operating out of Iranian territory. China's moving in with this new development deal, the $400 billion oil development deal, and part of that deal China made with Iran is they're going to move, quote, security forces onto these Iranian islands where they're developing oil and they're mining for oil, uh, partly because I think they want to deter the U.S. Navy from targeting those oil-rich islands in the event of a crisis, which would be a, an effective thing we could do as the United States to kind of cut Iran off at the knees if they ever got out of line. But if Chinese personnel are present on those islands, we're going to be seriously restrained in our ability to strike out against Iranian oil assets. Uh, you you meant you mentioned Russia, Brandon, and it's boy. I'll tell you, the the American mind. You realize you do, of course. Do we realize that the um, the uh, Geneva uh, the Geneva meeting was only last week? I mean, that, that's how far <laughs> away it seems, right? It was only a week ago. It's but hard you, to believe. I, it's hard to believe things. You know, it's just forgotten. But I think forgotten in part. My own sense, you tell me, but my own sense forgotten in part because not a lot for us happened, I don't think. I don't think we looked great. I don't think we did much. But you tell me. My guess is Biden went home not thinking much about it and Putin went home Putin went home thinking, I got this guy. That's my guess, like Khrushchev with Kennedy. There is an image, again, and we have to we cannot discount the power of the image. Remember at Yalta in World War Two uh, Stalin and Churchill, both able-bodied men, sat yeah. the entire time with right. FDR to show solidarity, who, of course, was crippled. Right. Um, and and uh, alternatively, uh, you mentioned the famous Khrushchev-Kennedy debate, where Kennedy just looked completely out of his depth. Right. Uh, alternatively, or similarly, I should say, 
There's one image. Ian Bremmer posted it, and I kind of tweaked Ian on Facebook, and he didn't really get back to me. Uh, but there was an image of Putin with sitting next to Biden. Biden has his legs crossed in a very effeminate way, and Putin's legs are completely manspread. You know that term, manspread. Yeah, I do. Now, I do. You yep. and I, mm-hmm. you you and I can laugh about this, and and we Americans could kind of roll our eyes and go, "Who cares?" But the rest of the world, particularly the developing world, where that machismo and that very masculine sort of, you know, almost chauvinistic ideology is still alive, Putin knew exactly who he was playing to. He was playing both to his domestic audience, and he was playing to audiences in in parts of the world that are currently in conflict, like the Middle East, where very much that sort of image is very telling. The, the, The picture is worth a thousand words. And then at other times, Biden appeared to be doddering. He sort of was yelling at reporters at one point. He was uh, chuckling about, you know, they, you know, just not looking good. And, and we can all kind of say it was a bad showing or whatever. But these sorts of things have really dire consequences when you're looking at the world through the prism of we could be inching very near a, a great power conflict. And unlike the Cold War, where there were real kind of uh, roadblocks to war that both the Soviets and the Americans put up, Today, the situation is a lot more like the situation going into the First World War, where the great powers are at each other's throats. Nobody really thinks they're going to actually pull the trigger. And so they think they can just go as far as they want with each other. And everybody thinks they're stronger than they really are. And that's how you're now having, I think, a real destructive moment being created that really could you know, make or break the world system and could actually potentially break the United States. I, I don't think we are ready or able to fight the kind of conflict that I think is shaping up. And part of it is, you can see this in the public you know, diplomacy arena, in the arena of international press. A simple picture like that, nobody thought in the United States side that, ooh, that would make us look really bad. They didn't care. But Putin knew exactly what he, he was shaping the narrative. Putin never arrives to these meetings with American leaders early. First time in 20 years, he showed up 10 minutes early. He was sending a message. He's on cue. Biden is not. So, so you know, the, in terms of trust and reliability, the image of America as no longer being with it, being aloof, is being reinforced by Biden, and we look bad, and this sets us up for a very bad place diplomatically and possibly militarily. Is there is there any sense of what the Biden administration is going to be able to do differently with Russia that the Trump administration didn't do but got criticized for? I ask that as we head into it. Can you answer that on the other yeah. side? I, I, I just realized we ran out of time. But, yeah, I mean – you 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 certainly know the phrase from Nancy Pelosi with Trump all roads lead to Russia or Russia Russia uh, and and it just seems to me it was never a fair shake on the one hand in that it seemed Donald Trump had put a lot of squeeze on Russia he did not bring them a reset button and he had armed the Ukrainians uh, and that this administration is actually not as hard on Russia as he was but I'd love your sense of that and we'll get that from Brandon Weikert when we come right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. If you're thinking of saying goodbye to those uh, utility bills that just go up and up and up and going solar, you want to reach out to my friend Solar Sandy. 
She's the woman who brought integrity back to solar. She actually figured out how to truly zero out your power bill. Some of her clients even have the power bill companies paying them. If you sign up now with Solar Sand, she has a great deal where she will cover your power bills and your solar panel payments for one year, and you will receive a $1,000 bonus at signing. Check her out at AskSolarSandy.com and check out the testimonials of her other customers. They're amazing. Again, no power bills and no solar, solar panel payments for one year and a $1,000 bonus at signing. To get started, go to AskSolarSandy.com or give her a call at 623-850-8229. We're talking with Brandon Weikert, publisher of The Weikert Report. Among other things, uh, Brandon, just before the break, how is the Biden administration appearing towards Russia? Donald Trump was Russia. All roads lead to Russia. Um, is, is Joe Biden showing a fiercer, stronger, um, more hawkish or at least more serious stance toward Russia? <laughs> no, no. You'll remember uh, up until I think it was the end of March, beginning of April, there was a very real possibility a probability, in fact, a very high one, that uh, Russia was going to invade Ukraine and take the eastern provinces, the Donbass area, mm-hmm. uh, because in, partly because of uh, the things that the Biden team were saying during the campaign in 2020 and what they were trying to do once they assumed power in January of this year, things like supporting uh, Navalny, the Russian dissident, right. uh, who, uh, you know, by the way, well, your audience may not know, but Navalny was also a fierce Russian nationalist who unapologetically supported Putin's invasion of Crimea in 2014. Perfect. So this is not necessarily a guy that is Mr. Democracy, like the Biden team was saying, but he is a threat to Putin. And the, the Putin and the, the Biden administration was overtly calling for him to go to Russia, which he did, and to basically stand against the Russian uh, leadership, which he did. And so Putin, you know, was looking at this thinking, the Americans are coming for me. And uh, on top of that, uh, the Biden administration bizarrely came out and supported the frankly idiotic Ukrainian deoccupation of Crimea law, which was passed by hardliners in Kiev, uh, which said uh, basically that the Ukrainians would use military force to get the Russians out of Crimea. Well, there's no doubt the Russians wronged Ukraine in 2014 by taking that territory, but the Ukrainians don't have the military might to get the Russians out without calling on the Americans. And I don't think Crimea is worth the bones of one American GI. And uh, the Biden administration was supporting that law. So Putin thought for sure, they're coming for me. So he decided to get the beat on us and started loading up eastern Ukraine or the border there with his forces. And it took one phone call from Biden to stand down. But how did he get uh, Putin to stand down? Biden told Putin two things. I will meet with you bilaterally in my first six months in office. Putin has always wanted to be considered as an equal to any American leader, especially new ones. So Biden gave that to him first off. And then I think Biden also said, hey, I'll remove the sanctions that Trump imposed on you uh, and allow you to complete the Nord Stream 2 gas pipeline linking Russian natural gas with Germany. Every American president since Ronald Reagan has said, if you allow the Russians to, u- uh, to use their, their natural gas and build pipelines into Germany, you will effectively kill NATO. Mm-hmm. And I think that the Biden administration can talk tough against Mr. Putin, 
But when it comes down to it, the actual acts of the Biden administration are far from tough against Putin. They're downright, you know, Russian friendly. He seems to be empowering the Putin regime. So I don't think that he's he's Mr. Nice, that he's Mr. You know, tough guy with the, the Russians. I think just the opposite. I think he's empowering a Putinist regime and looking the other way when he shouldn't be. He was tougher on an American reporter than he was Vladimir Putin yes. while he was in Geneva. Yes. And uh, the press uh, for that has, of course, given him the pass that they normally get. OK, here's what I really want to do now. This is the real fun. <laughs> this is your most, I think, downloaded piece you've written the truth, <laughs> the truth behind UFOs. Can I ask you about that on the other side of this yeah, break? Yeah. All right. Now we're getting yeah. to the good stuff with Brandon Weikert, author of Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower. His piece, The Truth Behind UFOs, it is his, I believe, most downloaded piece just out about a week ago. We'll talk about that with Brandon when we come right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Portions of Rich are brought to you by my friends at Cool Touch Air Conditioning. For all your air conditioning needs, Chris Funk and his team at Cool Touch are the people I endorse, the people I use, the people my friends and family use. Right now, uh, Chris Funk is telling you that they have a new system at um, at uh, Cool Touch AC that's effectively like having a dimmer switch on your AC unit that allows you to automatically use just the right percentage of air conditioning, like a dimmer switch on a light, so you don't have the power surges that are continually needed, those huge drags on your power to keep the temperature where you want it. Thus, you get the most comfortable living environment and the biggest savings on your utility bills. Cool Touch will eliminate the pain and surprise and with fantastic customer service as well. That's why I and all my friends and family use Cool Touch. Cool Touch has a great deal right now on this new system as well, offering a $2,000 rebate. Reach my friends at Cool Touch at 623-734-1932. That's 623-734-1932 or at cooltouchac.com. That's cooltouchac.com for all your air conditioning needs. Brandon Weikert has been our guest as he is every Monday. And Brandon, I think you said might have mentioned to me this is your most downloaded article, The Truth Behind <laughs> UFOs. And you have a nice yeah. little swipe at the Navy there. Tell us what we're getting at here. The <laughs> Defense Department keeps threatening to enlighten us. <laughs> well, um, I want to come out and say, first of all, I don't know I don't know for sure if um the uh the the Navy uh, I, I don't know for sure if it is aliens or not, but I don't. I don't think it personally is aliens. I think that it is uh, the, uh, the the U.S. military, or possibly more frighteningly, uh, the military of a foreign rival. And why do I say that? Uh, a few years ago, the, the the news came out and reported what are known. If you Google that, you can find it. Uh, the UFO patents, which basically somebody was going through the Patent and Trademark Office, and they found a group of really bizarre. U.S. Navy patents for physics-defying technology, things like inertial mass reduction technology, um, you know, electromagnetic anti-gravity generators, uh, a whole host of things that, that really uh, sound like science fiction. And the PTO did not want to have these patents on their books 
Uh, but the, the Navy actually called and said, no, no, this is legit. You have to register. We want these registered with you officially. Uh, and when pressed by the Patent and Trademark Office, the Navy admitted, uh, yes, we, we have tested these devices. We actually have working prototypes. Uh, NavAir has tested them. A, a man named Dr. Salvatore Pais, P-A-I-S, or Pais, uh, was the head scientist for it, and he has developed a, a coterie of exotic technologies, uh, real game-changing technologies. And the reason we developed it, the Navy man said, was because we think the Chinese are developing similar systems today. Mm. And you know, when you look at the patents, which you can get on Google, uh, when you when you research what the what they're claiming they have at the Navy, it's literally the exact same kinds of vehicles with the same kinds of capabilities that the Navy and Marine pilots in these famous videos from the last 10 years have been claiming to see, things like the Tic Tac, uh, uh, you know, pyramid-shaped vehicles. And, um, you know, so I don't know for sure if it, maybe it is aliens, I don't know, but I think that we have to first look at more terrestrial explanations. And we also have to look at the possibility that our rivals, notably China, might be developing and testing exotic technology in our restricted airspace to see how our pilots react. We know that China is keeping up with us neck and neck across the board in high tech. And if you talk to venture capitalists who do investments in China, they'll say China's not just an imitator anymore. They're an innovator. And in a core area of, of exotic technologies, things like quantum technology, things like uh, artificial intelligence, um, graphene, uh, you know, metamaterials. China's actually, in some cases, leapfrogging us. And so, uh, you know, while aliens are certainly a possibility until we have verifiable proof that it's not them, I think we really need to keep ourselves attenuated to the possibility that it's either something we've built in our testing, which is the best hope, or that more frighteningly, more frighteningly than aliens, that it's something the Chinese or the Russians have, and they're testing it on us as part of a larger program to build out these these systems. We know, for instance, that China has now the world's largest wind tunnel for conducting tests on hypersonic vehicles. We don't have any viable defense against hypersonic kill vehicles, except we have to build our own mm -hmm. uh, as a deterrence. But we can't mass produce or test them the way that China can, because now China has this more advanced wind tunnel that they can test larger vehicles. Well, hypersonic vehicle could theoretically display many of the capabilities that these supposed UFOs or UAPs are, are, are exhibiting. And so, you know, while aliens is certainly fascinating and fun to speculate, the fact that I'm seeing supposedly straight newsmen and women, you know, coming out and talking so openly about this as this must be the, what it is, it, it's kind of insane because we haven't gone through the other possibilities uh, where there's actual verifiable government data that the, the that our government certainly has been trying to build similar technologies and patented them, and that also, by the way, China has been developing similar technologies. There was a popular mechanic. You want to talk about wild? Yeah. There was a popular mechanics article about two weeks ago asking whether or not, based on academic articles that were being published from China's Ministry of or China's National Academy of Sciences. They were asking, is China trying to build a time machine? Oh, and, wow. and, and now it sounds insane, mm -hmm. and, but, 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 you know, we're at a point now with the technology race where humans have really developed incredible capabilities 
that would seem science fiction to you or I. Mm-hmm. And so I think that, that, that we need to really keep these possibilities in the backs of our mind when we see major news networks, you know, talking so loosely about little green men visiting our, our Navy and Marine Corps pilots. Yeah, well, I, I think one thing for certain is whatever it will be, as it seems to be with every release of something that the government has been holding back, whether it has to do with November 22nd, 1963, or you name it, whatever it will be, I'm sure it will be unsatisfactory to the end. It of, will be. Yeah. yeah. And as I mentioned in the article, the the, the uh, report that they compile, that they're compiling gave them 180 days to compile it, 180 days to get to the bottom of a 50-year-old mystery where 17 different intelligence agencies all had a role and the, the opaque DOD, you know, has different pieces of the information, you know, uh, uh, siloed away in different bureaucracies and agencies, the likes of which I doubt these investigators have access to or the proper clearance levels to. So, yes, the, the report that's forthcoming, I think, on June 25th, I expect it to raise more questions than answer anything. Brandon Weikert, thank you. You want me to leave you with a laugh and a chuckle? Yes. We have a uh, funny guy who works here named Dave, and um, he's uh, one of our sales guys, and very funny, very funny, professional comedian. And a guy went up to him the other day and said, what's Liebson like? And Dave said, well, I'll tell you. The funny thing most people don't know about Seth is he he actually doesn't think we ever went to the moon. But he (laughs) does think we went to the sun. I thought that was pretty funny. (laughs) All right, Brandon, on that note, we'll we'll improve for next week. But (laughs) God bless you, sir. Brandon Weicker, publisher of the Weicker Report, author of Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. I, w- I was thinking of um, – I did promise to the audience I would mention why we threw in the Paul McCartney duet with Stevie Wonder, Ebony and Ivory. It was because I heard something on the Adam Carolla show earlier last week that, or, yeah, at some point last week. And it got me to thinking. For some reason, they were playing that and they played that Three Dog Night song, Black and White. Can you go out with Black and White by Three Dog Night? Can you do it just for the context of it all? And Adam's point was, if you go back and listen to the lyrics of that Three Dog Night song, Black and White, you know the song, Child is Black, Child is White. 1972, you know, that was a big hit. <laughs> Billboard hit. And, uh, and you know, Adam's point was, you think about this whole trajectory of trying to get the race thing right in America. You know, we've been at it obviously forever but even just at the beginning of our childhoods you know when a lot of us who are in our 50s were you know but little first and second third graders or kindergartners and preschoolers even this was going on in major i mean the country had majorly accepted this issue of integration and if black and white in 1972 wasn't enough and it's not But if it wasn't, you had things like what you got a decade later with Ebony and Ivory trying to get – what was Adam's phrase? A lid on it, trying to put a lid on it. And the lid was pretty good. 
until the academy decided, the ivory tower decided, it had to act like what looks like happened at the Wuhan Institute of Virology and these toxic ideas here, like the toxic chemicals there, somehow got out into the rest of the population when we were convincing ourselves these things were just going to stay in the research labs. These things, these things were just going to stay in the college sociology and political science departments. Well, they didn't. They didn't. They've now reached out into the rest of the world, this virus of critical race theory that redivides us along lines we haven't thought we could be redivided along. Came out of the universities and it has now affected the rest of the country. And when we come back, I want to say a little bit more about it because the most interesting thing about it right now is not it, but the left trying to tell us it doesn't exist. And this is a fantasy of the conservatives to create a red straw to prevent the rest of the country from learning about slavery. What a crock! <laughs> 